Hello, this is your host, Marshall Fields, and welcome to Positive Communication Habits and Thought Process, or P-Chat-P for short. Here, we talk about real-life experiences and mindsets that help us navigate difficult conversations, even if we're just talking to ourselves. We can change the world by changing how we talk to it. Welcome back to the P-Chat-P podcast. In our last episode, we talked about building equitable communities with Dr. Serenity Wright, and how to foster greatness and humanize your work. This time, we'll be exploring some emotions and aspects of life that can destroy your greatness, dehumanize others as well as yourselves, and the paths that we can choose to make a difference. Along this journey, we have the honor of welcoming back distinguished guest, Dr. W.D. Hager. Dr. Hager is not only an accomplished physician, but also a prolific author and an advocate for change. With over 40 medical journals, 25 textbook chapters, seven books to his name, appearances on CNN, WSNBC, National Public Radio, ABC Morning Show, CNN News, 2020, Nightline with Ted Koppel, and 60 Minutes with Leslie Stahl, Dr. Hager's experience is widely recognized. Today, we're going to explore deeply personal aspects of Dr. Hager's life, his grandchild, and their close call during the shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville back in March. This traumatic event has tested Dr. Hager's resilience, and we'll discuss his journey of facing rage, anger, and healing in its aftermath. As a returning guest, Dr. Hager brings a wealth of knowledge, empathy, and personal insight to help us understand the complex emotions that arise in the wake of such a horrific incident. We hope that this episode will provide wisdom, solace, and guidance to those grappling with their own anger or trauma. We extend a warm welcome to Dr. W.D. Hager as we embark on this profound exploration of facing rage, facing anger, and working toward healing. Dr. Hager, it is good to have you back on the show. Thank you, Marshall. It's always good to be with you and um, join a good friend. Yeah, I feel the same way. Today, um, you know, we, we have some heavier topics uh, than the, the last time that we met. Um, you know, just to hop right in, the incident at the Covenant School, it must have been unimaginably difficult to experience for you and your family. Can you share with us the initial emotions and, and thoughts that surfaced when you learned about the incident and realized your grandchild's close call? Well, yeah, Marshall, it, it's, um, it's never easy to have to talk about. Um, just so the listeners know, the Covenant School is um, a part of the Covenant Church, which is the largest PCA church in Nashville, Tennessee. And the Covenant School uh, goes through grade six, including preschool. And um, we have a son and daughter-in-law in Nashville, uh, Jay and his wife, Natalie. Jay's a pastor in Nashville. Their children attend the Covenant School. And then we have a, another son um, and his wife, Neil and Shannon, who live in Franklin, adjacent to that. So we're down in that area quite often. Uh, was doing some things around the house, just so the listeners know I have retired from full-time practice of medicine. Um, so I was here and uh, got the phone call that that everyone dreads, um, and the emotion in the call was um, frightening. It was just 
stilling, if you will. I'd received a call like that one other time, and that's when Pam called me to tell me that our son um, had been killed. And uh, he was 22 years of age, and uh, Caleb, um, Caleb's life had been taken, and the dread in her voice just terrified me. It, uh, you can just hear it you know, when someone speaks that. And that's what was in Jay's voice. And all he said to me that morning was, Dad, there's been a shooting, and we don't know where Henry is. I'll have to call you back. So Essie, our nine-year-old granddaughter, was at school, and Henry was. Lucy was not there. And Henry's uh, only uh, four years old. And so... I'm sitting here uh, in Lexington uh, with fear, trepidation, anxiety, uh, really not knowing what was going on. And, and really all Pam and I could do was fall to our knees and pray, Lord, spare our children. And as you know, the end result of, of that shooting, uh, there were uh, three children who were killed. Uh, shot and, and killed, and they were all Essie's age, nine years old, and in her class. Um, and then there were adults who were killed, including the, the headmaster of the school and a, um, a staff person and a, cler a clerical person. And um, Essie, the trauma, she saw her friend carried out of the school in a draped in a sheet with blood on it. And, and so the, just the trauma of that, um, I, the ultimately just so that everybody knows Henry, they did find Henry. Uh, and so after about an hour and a half, we got a call that Henry was okay. And we were able to breathe a little easier, but still that anxiety that you feel whenever there's a mass shooting, uh, is what we experienced that day. And th that anxiety, that that is the initial because there's so many unknowns except for one thing. There is danger. There is uh, high potential of harm, and you don't know the status of your loved one's safety. But once that moment subsides and the event is over and you know what has happened, you know what's been taken, then anger is a natural response you know, oh. such as wanting to have an act of violence or revenge. How did anger manifest within you? And, and how do you, how do you cope with this intense emotion during the aftermath of a shooting when innocence has been taken? You know, one of the things that I think uh, the listeners need to be aware of is we've always had a tendency, Pam and my wife and I to, we've always prayed when there were these kind of events, nationally, internationally, we've, we've tried to have empathy toward the people, but there's always something within you that kind of says, that's happening someplace else. That won't happen here. But all of a sudden, we were in the middle of what was happening here with us, even though it was in Nashville. And immediately the next day, I took off for Nashville. But yeah, there, there was there was an emotion of shock. There was an emotion of anxiety and trepidation, but then you do experience an emotion of anger. And in my new book, 
simmering anger, smoldering rage, um, the emotion that is destroying our world, I talk about the fact that anger is a normal emotion. It's not wrong to be angry. What's wrong is dealing with your anger inappropriately. So yeah, we, we honestly were angry. We were angry that it happened. We were angry that um, a young woman would uh, go into a school uh, with assault weapons and take lives. Um, but then because I was involved in, in writing, and this took the forefront uh, of that book actually, uh, the Covenant School shooting, you, you must come to a place where there's some kind of resolution. That doesn't happen right away, but, but there had to be some resolution. And the only way that we, Pam and I, could begin to resolve our anger uh, and be, was to communicate, to talk. And so communication between us, between us and our children uh, in, in Nashville. Um, and when I went down the next day, I met with two of the pastors uh, because the, the senior pastor at Covenant Church, his daughter was killed. And so I, I was able to meet with them. And one of the biggest, the most important ways that I was able to resolve my anger and discomfort was in talking, communication. You and I are talking today and we can resolve things. And, and, but unless we're face to face, if you will, or at least in some type of communication, we can't resolve things. So that was the beginning of resolution for me was talking, communicating, and hearing their their anxiety, their fear, their anger, and expressing mine. It, it's so necessary. I, I wish, right? I wish that we were telepathic. I wish that we could save the time of having to form words and, 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 and think before we speak and just communicate. That, you know, oftentimes communication can be riddled with so many of the, that's not what I meant, you know what I meant, Nobody knows what you mean. They just take right. what you say and they receive it. One of the things that struck me about what you said was um, how you all, uh, you and your wife Pam, <clears throat> already have a habit of praying when there are, you know, tragedies, whether it be at home or from a national scale. And not everyone has that spiritual uh, background and that spiritual habit. So in times of tragedy, you know, finding healing can be daunting, especially when you don't feel that connection to a higher power or, or source. Uh, but just to kind of learn more about your journey, can you, can you describe um, that journey? that your family undertook to navigate through the healing process, both individually and as a collective? Yeah, and I, I think that's a great question. Um, and I, I certainly don't have all the answers. I'm not, um, you know, a spiritual giant. I tried to live out my faith on a daily basis. I did in my practice of medicine. And as I 
write and speak around the country, but um, the the thing about prayer, in my opinion, is that there are a lot of people who feel, well, I just can't pray. I don't know what to say. Um, I I haven't prayed for a while. Prayer is just conversation with God. And so in that moment, we were able to just let God know what our feelings were. God, we don't understand this. We're, we're upset. We're angry that someone would be this bold. We have these emotions inside and we need for you to help us to deal with those. So it was, and Pam prays the same way. She just talks to God. And just like you and I would be talking today, and she knows he's her daddy. And she talks to him like she would her daddy when her daddy was alive. And um, I've learned that uh, God is to be uh, revered. The word fear in the Bible means revered, but he's there and he listens and he hears and nothing is too small nothing is too great for me to take to him and so that's the the way that we approached him at that time was daddy we need you to help us to understand what's going on to understand our emotions and how to deal with them and to also enable those in nashville to understand and be able to deal with their emotions. And Marshall, it was miraculous what happened in Nashville. After we were there, and while I was there for that, that week afterwards, I, I met with with our kids. I talked with our grandchildren. We had to be very careful how we talked to them. Um, Essie had some severe emotional issues, almost PTSD. Henry, at four years of age, you know, it was kind of a bad thing that happened, but he, he went on playing, uh, met with the pastors and heard them. But the law enforcement officials in Nashville did a marvelous job of coming alongside the victims. Uh, and you know, Marshall, there was actually an article that was published that said that there were no victims in Nashville. The only victim was the shooter. Um, so the, wow. the law enforcement officials came. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to yeah. stop you. Break that down for me. There were no victims in yeah. Nashville. Yeah, yeah. What there does was, that mean? <laughs> that that the shooter had been victimized. Uh, she happened to have... Um, uh, a sexual identification issue and that she was actually the victim and had reacted out of her victimization. Um, but the, you know, that meant the parents, those who had lost children, the adults who had passed away, their families were not really victims. But the, the police department, the fire department, in the days after the shooting had events centralized events in Nashville and all of the parents, all of the children, any relatives were invited to come and they took those kids in their arms and they said, we're here to protect you. I have a picture of my granddaughter Essie and grandson Henry in the arms of the SWAT team that took them out of the building. And so they're 
their memory is not, you know, that somebody failed or that they they had to shoot the the shooter, but their memory is that the the police force came alongside and helped. And so I think it was really important to them that that type of um, impact was made on their minds uh, as much as we, you know, trash our our legal and uh, law enforcement today. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and I, I agree there has definitely been at times negative press, uh, about the, the military and law enforcement, which the military is, um, law enforcement is the military essentially. So there, one of one of the issues that I think plague all of us, and and I don't want to get too far off because I really want to stick to the, to the script, but one of the things that plagues all of our society when it comes to how we relate to one another is we generalize the negativity onto the masses based upon the activity of the few that. Um, is something that has been used to promote and justify racism. It's been used to promote and justify how people view police. And, um, you know, that's just taking it from the merit of the individual's character and casting something negative that has happened onto everyone who might look like them or wear a uniform or wear skin. Yeah. And, and that's an, that's an issue. Uh, but as we lead in to the thought or the power of forgiveness, um, you know, I think even though we're talking about a tragic shooting at the same time, forgiveness is something that is a requirement of all of us, especially because of its transformative force. Uh, in the face of anger, in the face of resentment, mistreatment, bitterness. So did did you find it a challenge to consider forgiveness in the wake of such a devastating event? And if so, how did you how did you navigate the process of forgiveness, both for yourself and for others involved? Yeah, I, I would never say that it's easy. Um, but we feel um, called to forgive out of Matthew 5:16 in the Bible um, if we don't forgive we can't expect to be forgiven and so we've lived our our lives that way even in the most difficult situations and Pam and I both have had difficult personal situations and we've um, we've felt it necessary to forgive in order for us to go on um, I I actually felt um, more resentment toward initially toward the parents of this young woman than I did the young woman for some reason because I'm a parent you know what did you do or not do but as I heard more and learned more I actually had compassion for them I had uh, compassion for the the perpetrator and we were able with our children to pray prayers of forgiveness uh, for them, that there would be restoration. 
there would be healing. Our daughter-in-law, Natalie, who's an interior decorator in Nashville, one of the leading interior decorators there, uh, was asked to develop a center uh, for crisis and uh, rehabilitation. And she developed that in two weeks, uh, built that up. And uh, one of the key aspects of putting that together and having families and individuals come in there for counseling was the whole aspect of forgiveness. If, if you maintain unforgiveness in your heart, then the perpetrator continues to have control and you don't have the control. When I forgive, when Pam forgives, I usurp that and I put myself in a place where now I'm in control. I'm forgiving you. And I'm not saying it's easy. When, you know, when someone in cold blood kills your mate or your child or uh, there's some type of devastation. There have been 199 mass shootings in the first five months in the United States. That means four, a mass shooting is four persons, not including the perpetrator, or more are killed. 199 in five months in this country. Is, is it a gun control mess, you know, problem? Is it a problem of mental health? It's, it's all of it together, and I'm not here to address that aspect, but I am here to say being angry when that happens is normal. The key is to recognize your anger and deal with it. Don't repress it. And then learn to forgive, to pray, forgive, go to God's word for your own life. But when we forgive, then we are able to take them out of the driver's seat as far as the emotions that we have. So for our listeners, <clears throat> because I, I always try to be inclusive, um, you know, I myself, uh, like you, I am a believer. However, there are those who aren't, don't consider themselves Christians or practicing uh, any particular religion. Uh, what would you say to them in times like this from a perspective of, you know, thinking about forgiveness and how it can be transformative? Yeah, so the, what, what I was just saying really is is exterior to, I put it in the context of, of a biblical perspective or forgiving to be forgiven, but regardless of that, it, just from a moral and ethical perspective, in order for us to go on, when, when we're held back by unforgiveness, by anger and rage, when we repress that, it stays in the back of our mind and it's constantly bubbling. I, I liken it to a hot springs and a geyser. So that hot springs is bubbling and bubbling and bubbling and it's getting hotter. And finally, when the temperature comes to beyond a boiling point and that rock underneath begins to actually bubble up and all of a sudden there's a geyser, that geyser spills out on everybody else, not just yourself. And so when, regardless of your faith journey, if you allow that emotion of anger to continue to control 
what you're doing, what you're thinking, how you're acting. And we see that so much in our society today, then that geyser is going to erupt at some point in time and a lot of people are going to be affected. Now, it may be a mass shooting, and I pray that it's not, but it may just be running somebody off the road with road rage. It may be yelling at someone in the grocery store. I was in the, I was shopping the other day and I was in the self checkout line at the grocery store and it was fairly long and there was a guy behind me with a cart and he says, F this, I'm not standing uh, in this line anymore. And he bypasses the line and walks out the, the grocery store with his cart. And I, I spoke to the, the, the clerk there and she said, oh, it happens all the time. That's just anger within, unresolved anger. And that's why, as a society, faith-based, non-faith-based, as a society, we must learn to deal with this normal emotion of anger, which was originally developed as an innate emotion in the fight-or-flight reflex, and deal with it, bring it to the forefront, and don't let it simmer. That's the whole emphasis of our book, is don't let your anger simmer and smolder because ultimately the geyser is going to erupt. Mm. Well said. Um, one of the things that I've often told uh, folks that I might be coaching or just having a conversation around this topic is you don't want a temporary emotion cause permanent consequences. And that is, that's one thing that I'm very adamant about because if your anger fades, but what you did while you were angry is still there, it causes such an uh, internal turmoil and, and regret and bitterness so it's better to just deal with that one emotion than creating a negative situation where you're going to have even more negative emotions uh, to deal with. Uh, but I, I know just for me, the biggest part for me is my spirituality. Uh, you know, it can provide solace and strength during times of profound pain, give you peace where other people don't even understand it. In fact, when I've had the opportunity to become angry and I have went internally and dealt with it from that perspective, I have made other people angry because I wasn't getting angry. They were like, how are you so calm? How are you not? I'm like, no, because as you said earlier, you hand over power to other people when you allow yourself to be controlled by the emotion called anger or frustration. Uh, up to and including road rage, right? right? So, how did how did your spiritual beliefs, um, you know, specifically play a role in the healing journey and you know supporting your family through this period? Yeah. So you made a statement there, Marshall, that's so important in our recovery uh, ministry. We use a term, temporary satisfaction versus permanent fulfillment, and so. Um, from a, from a spiritual perspective or from a secular perspective, when you act out of your anger, you're getting some temporary satisfaction that may help to relieve that temporarily, but not long-term, versus the exchange of forgiveness, dealing with your anger, and then going on to achieve permanent fulfillment. 
So one of the key things in, in dealing with anger is not only to recognize it as a normal emotion and to deal with it and don't let it sit on the back burner and smolder, but is to become involved in other activities. So me going to Nashville to talk with pastors, to talk with my family, to talk with other people, that communication, that was a way for me to help resolve for permanent fulfillment my anger. When you ex begin to experience anger, seek out someone to talk to. Seek out a Marshall Fields who you can talk to, who can give you some understanding and help you to deal with that. Uh, so that you don't keep it pent up. And then from from our perspective, we go to God. We, we believe that God understands our anger. Uh, there's, there are verses in the Bible. We come back to biblical correlation. There are verses in the Bible that God was angry with his people. There are verses in the Bible that Jesus was angry. He got angry when uh, people were made a marketplace out of out of the church. He got angry at a fig tree. He expressed it, but then he went right on to getting back to helping other people. And that's the key is don't simmer on it, sit on it, allow it to simmer and, and continue to bubble up in your mind. Deal with it, communicate with others about it, and then begin to reach out to other people. Begin to reach out in a helpful way uh, so that you are able to take that emotion and achieve that permanent fulfillment that you're talking about. I, and I think one of the one of the things that you touched on, uh, which is seeking out other people, I think that is so important because whether it be because we are ashamed or because we truly don't believe anybody will understand or that there is anyone in our lives. I have found that God will always put someone there and, and for non-believers, the universe or circumstance, there will, there will be an opportunity where you will have an outlet or a way or someone to talk to. And, and, and that definitely helps from, from a healing and, um, you know, building up some endurance to survive a situation. But there are also some deeper things that can stem from an event like this beyond anger and the need to heal from that. But there can also be trauma and trauma is a much deeper impact to where it wasn't just a feeling, but there is a, there is a mental and emotional state that can impact how you go about your daily life. So do you have any words of wisdom? to share with those who might be struggling from trauma? Well, uh, <laughs> I probably don't have great words of wisdom. I, I, I just, I, I think that we all need to come to grips with the fact that bad things happen. Um, traumatic things happen in our lives. Things that would, um, get us off track and would cause a detour in our lives. In our upcoming book, uh, my son Neil and I uh, wrote On the Way, Miracles Happen. Um, and in that book, we take real life situations on the way 
and we liken them to Jesus' interactions. So many of his interactions, he was heading one place, but something happened on the side, and he reached out uh, to that person. And there are many examples of that. But we give real-life um, examples, and it it wasn't often it was not in Pam's or mine or someone else's intent to minister in that way or to reach out in that way and to persons who were traumatized emotionally, physically, spiritually. But we took, because of our orientation, we took advantage of that to reach out, to, to lend a helping hand, if you will, to those individuals and to try to minister to them in different ways. Not that we have all the information, but just extending the hand to someone who is experiencing trauma in their life, is experiencing abuse, neglect, abandonment, rejection, whatever it is in their life, that is the thing that we can do. And in doing so, we find healing ourselves. Uh, we, we were healed and improved so many times, much more than the person we reached out to. So in the face of trauma, um, in the face of devastating situations in your life, I, I just, I would say to you, as Marshall has said, there is a higher power who is interested in your well-being and call out to him in desperation, reach out to him, but reach out to your fellow man, reach out to your brother, um, and, and you'll find great healing in that as will they. Hmm. Man, how about that? So you, you pretty much took uh, the next question that I was going to ask, which was, as we wrap up, what are your hopes and aspirations for the future, not only for yourself or for your family, but for society as a whole in terms of creating a safer and more compassionate world? And I think if we as individuals can be the right person in that situation, and um, there, there was a there was a video that I saw from uh, Steve Furtick and he talked about fulfilling a need with a need. So in other words, you be there for someone else to kind of paraphrase what you were saying by being there for someone else and trying to help them, you in that process become helped also. And I, I think that's very powerful because we live in a world that is very egotistical at times and we are taught to look out for number one but don't step on number two well what if by looking out for number two you helped number one by default what if that was the way we thought automatically i'm going to do this for someone else because by doing for someone else i will receive by default david i thank you for sharing your personal journey of facing rage and anger and and healing with us today. Your strength and your resilience are truly inspiring. We wish you and your family continued healing and hope that your experiences will serve as a catalyst for positive change. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Marshall. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. If you like this episode and if you like PChatP, you can find and subscribe on all major podcast platforms. You can support us at pchatp.com. We hope you join us in changing the world by changing how we talk to it.
This episode was directed and produced by Marshall Fields with music and audio engineering by Chris Brueggemann.